0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we will carry on our series on German foreign policy and talk about the foreign policy of the Social Democratic Party. I am very happy to be joined in this by Niels Annen, who is Minister of State in the German Federal Foreign Office and a member of the Bundestag for the SPD, the Social Democratic Party of Germany. And I hope that we can look into what the SPD hopes to do in the world. What would an SPD foreign policy look like without the Grand Coalition? What are the big social democratic policy ideas when it comes to China, Russia, to European security and defence policy, and many other questions as well. Thank you very much for joining, Nils. So, maybe we could just start with this very big, grand question. When it comes to, to social democratic foreign policy, what are the, the main pillars? What are the sort of broad philosophical ideas that make an SPD foreign policy distinctive in Germany?
1: <laughs> well, look, although, Mark, uh, although I am on the campaign trail, and. I'm running in my district and I'm hoping for a good result for my party. I'm afraid that foreign policy is maybe not the most partisan issue. At least I hope that this will be the case in the future as well. The current foreign policy uh, of Germany, based on the known pillars, being a good member of the European Union, a reliable ally and partner within NATO and the international as we used to call it, the rules-based international order, the multilateral framework, that is social democratic belief. And I think not only because German's foreign minister, current foreign minister is a social democrat, but many social democrats have been instrumental for the way that Germany tries to engage with its neighbors and abroad, has been heavily influenced by social democratic thinking. But a discussion is on the way. And it's good that we have a vital uh, and lively and sometimes even controversial foreign policy discussion in Germany. And I'm sure that we're going to talk about the differences. I still believe that the social democratic strategy to strengthen the European Union, to make sure that we are a vital democracy within our own alliance, within the European Union and Germany itself, as a precondition for what we are trying to achieve abroad. So if we are talking about human rights, if we are talking about the rules-based international order, it's only going to be credible if we are living these values ourselves at home. So these values are under threat, obviously from abroad, but also from within. While we are talking here, we have a new discussion about Poland and Hungary. The European Commission launched an investigation that gives you some of the ideas what is concerning us. But social democrats always believed in the power of diplomacy, of engagement, of dialogue, based on a clear position uh, that we are defending. And as you can see in history, if necessary, also uh, with robust investment, uh, social democratic Ostpolitik, the famous Ostpolitik of Willy Brandt was based also on very uh, heavy investment in the German armed forces and part of the NATO alliance. But that's what I personally believe is necessary. What is also at stake if you listen to some of our competitors. And so a lot to discuss. But as I said in the beginning, I think and I hope that foreign policy will always reflect a certain democratic consensus in our country. And I hope that we are not going to end in our democratic culture in the situation that we are seeing, for example, in the United States. So a foreign policy based on a broad consensus is also enabling us to be more efficient abroad. And and that's certainly what we are trying to achieve.
0: Okay, point taken. Um, that the the goal is to to have make sure there's a strong societal consensus behind the main ideas, and and obviously, this doesn't seem to be the the biggest matter of debate between the the SPD and the CDU and the Green Party at the moment. What foreign policy should be, though, there are quite interesting debates within all your parties about some of these big issues. And maybe we could take some of these issues which are very important and which are both maybe subject to nuances between the parties, but also within the parties. And the biggest topic I think on many people's minds at the moment is is China, which is the huge geopolitical challenge of our time. What do you think a social democratic policy towards China should be like? How do you reconcile the economic imperatives which are obviously enormous for Germany, which trades more with China than the whole of the rest of the European Union combined. And the the challenges which China increasingly poses to European sovereignty, to our values on on particular questions, but also to climate and other cross-cutting issues, whether it's COVID-19 or other areas where China is uh, an increasingly complicated partner and an increasingly complicated part of the system as well.
1: No, absolutely. You got it right. That's going to be maybe the biggest challenge for Germany and the Western democracies in the coming decade and maybe even beyond that. I want to be very honest with you. Um, I'm very concerned about the path that China has chosen. President Xi accumulated amount of power that has been unseen until the times of probably Mao Zedong. I mean, China, of course, was never a democracy but what we saw before were presidents who had term limits. We had a collective leadership, and that seems to be completely abolished. The rhetoric is aggressive, and unfortunately, not only the rhetoric. We see that Deng Xiaoping's policies of keeping a low profile never takes the lead to compromise, also in conflict uh, with neighbors. That is history now, and we have a new policy, and that means that we need to adapt to that reality. Well, we need to adapt to that reality without giving up on dialogue with China. And my concern is, and that's maybe also a point where a certain distinction between political parties in Germany as well is that we need to be more more united as a European Union and hopefully you now also with the United States after the Biden administration uh, took office in defending our rules-based international order and also defending issues like human rights that we're seeing being violated in Xinjiang and the autonomy of Hong Kong is virtually being ended right now. But there are global issues where we need also the ability to engage with China. And you already mentioned climate change. We are not going to be able to reach the Paris goals and even more ambitious goals without engaging China, even also without engaging Russia and and other countries that we have conflicts with. So uh, the concern that we are heading into a kind of New global confrontation, some are speaking already about a new Cold War, is a concern that I share, and I think that we need to find ways to avoid that. Do we have an economic interest in China? Absolutely. Germany's economy is quite engaged and also exposed to risk coming from China, and that's why it's our belief that Germany, with its unique access To China, to the Chinese market, we have government consultations on the highest level on an annual basis. I said, Germany needs to do more to unite the other Western democracies. And we tried to do that with the EU-China summit that because of the COVID-19 pandemic could not uh, be held in Leipzig. But to send a message to the other smaller European countries that we are using our weight to really contribute to to a stronger cohesion in the European Union But at the same time, that we also expect from our European partners who are working some of them uh, in an exclusive format like the 17 plus one, that this is also not helping our case. So I think Berlin is recognizing that there is a new development in China that we need to address. But we could not have an interest, you know, in what the experts called decoupling or new global confrontation. Are we be able to avoid the global confrontation? Quite frankly, I don't know. That's really Beijing's decision. We need to be prepared for that. Uh, But I'm a little bit concerned when I'm listening to some of my colleagues who try to, you know, not only when it comes to China, but also when it comes to Russia and other difficult partners to only see black or white. And that's not enough. The, The world is more complicated. It will depend on the ability of future leaders to recognize that and and to take the right decisions.
0: So where does 5G, for example, fit into the framework that you're talking about?
1: I was more on the hawkish side in that debate because I don't think that a company that is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party should be entrusted with a platform that is crucial for maybe the entire new industrial development and infrastructure in a country like Germany. So I have been very sceptical, and I I was very supportive of some of the voices that we heard from the German Bundestag. But, you know, it's an ongoing discussion. And if we are defending WTO rules, we need to make sure that we apply it to the rules as well. But I think we found a good way to make that concern heard. Uh, And and I think we found a good compromise in the
0: German government. So what do you think the next few issues like 5G are going to be? Because that was obviously an issue which was both very, very controversial in the Bundestag, but it's also something which seemed to pit a lot of the German political class against bits of the German economy, which were, you know, Deutsche Telekom, obviously, it's going deeper and deeper into its partnership with... with
1: it's very interesting, because also, my impression was that, you know, the new perspectives, the new view on what is happening on China is not only a debate that we are seeing in political circles in Berlin and the government and parliament, Uh, but also if you look at the position of the BDI, the um, Industrial uh, Association of German Businesses, it fundamentally changed. And that's also offering an opportunity to come to a new consensus. So I think we need to be more prepared. Germany um, has always been insisting also on a dialogue about human rights, for example, with China. Every dialogue has been difficult to achieve, even you know, to find the right venue and the right agenda. But because Germany has a certain economic weight, we have always been able to make that happen. So uh, we, we need a broad agenda with China. It's not only about fairness in international competition, where we still have not the same market access For German companies that Chinese companies enjoy in Europe, we are more vigilant now. We created new instruments to protect uh, critical infrastructure in Germany as well. But I still believe it's necessary to see a broad picture. Our relationship is important not only to Germany and China, but to Europe and maybe the world in general. Uh, and, And there are aspects where we need to rely on Chinese cooperation, as I mentioned, climate change. But some other international questions as well. So a certain pragmatism is necessary, and I think that's what the German government tried to show over the over the last years. But the Chinese need to know that they cannot kick us around like they do with some smaller countries. The famous Wolverine diplomacy language that they would never accept, um, you know, to be addressed like that. And I also, after listening to President Xi's speech at the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party, I am afraid that this is going to be a very, very complicated relationship and it's going to be a rough ride.
0: So we've got lots more to talk about. I want to talk about the US, I want to talk about Germany and Europe and the whole idea of European sovereignty. But one of the big questions which often comes up particularly when talking to the SPD, is about relations with Russia. You mentioned Willy Brandt's Ostpolitik earlier, which has been a sort of central part of the of the SPD's foreign policy identity and it's, it's kind of part of the DNA of, of the party's Feldanschauung. How do you see relations with Russia developing? I mean, one of the interesting things about recent years actually has been how the SPD has been... A crucial part of hardening not just German but European policy towards Russia as well. It was Steinmeier was first foreign minister when sanctions came in as a result of um, yes. of the annexation of Crimea, and and the current foreign minister, your boss, has been much more forward leaning and aggressive in his his rhetoric about Russia than than many of his predecessors in the SPD. Where do you think the center of gravity on Russia is at the moment?
1: For me. There is a development in the development in, in our relationship is one of the biggest disappointments in, in my engagement in foreign policy, which is now lasting also many years. Because I think it's fair to say that there's maybe no country in Europe that showed so much goodwill, that established such network of relations with Russia, not only on the political, economical level, but also cultural relationship, people-to-people contacts, And we see a situation where on all levels there is very concerning development. And of course, the annexation of Crimea was a turning point in our relationship, an illegal annexation that could not be ignored. And then the ongoing warfare in eastern Ukraine. So uh, I think still, and I, I still believe that a good relationship, at least a pragmatic relationship between Germany and Russia is crucial. And one of, you know, the most important foreign policy experts and thinkers of the SPD, Egon Barr, once said that the United States is in, indispensable, but Russia is, is there. It's not going to go away. It's going to be a factor. And that's true. and And it remains true. So, we tried to reach out not only between you know, the foreign ministers, or the chancellor and President Putin, but also to send messages to the Russian population, like the humanitarian gesture to the survivors of the Leningrad blockade. We initiated, in spite of all the tensions, the year of Russian-German-Use exchange. I could go down that list more, but the fact of the matter is that the Russian behavior is unacceptable. Uh, we are all thinking and still thinking about Mr. Navani. We saw uh, Russian operatives poisoning people in Europe. We see um, hybrid attacks, including an attack on the German Bundestag's computer network. And I think this cannot cannot just be ignored, what is happening there. But at the same time, and that's also, you know, I think, core belief of Social Democrats who have been in office during the time, you mentioned frank Walter Steinmeier and Heiko Maas, it's not an alternative to cut off relationship with Russia. So Germany was doing both, engaging with Russia, keeping the door open. Also, by the way, sometimes defending the last remaining institutional platforms that we have against pressure, even from some of our most important uh, friends and allies within NATO and the European Union but at the same time working on necessary measures like like sanctions. And it has not always been completely to the satisfaction of my own party. That's true, because there is that, you know, identification, and for good reason, with uh, Willy Brandt's Ostpolitik. But I do think that we need to recognize that we are not in a Cold War situation. They're not the same. There's no Eastern and Western bloc. There's also no ideological motivation for that conflict. So we need we need a policy to address today's challenges. And just the reference to Ostpolitik is not going to give us the answers that we need. But Ostpolitics believe in the value of diplomacy and dialogue. That is more uh, important than ever. But I'm always skeptical to say, you know, we just need to engage and then things will change. We are constantly engaging.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yeah. And what do you think about the, the criticisms in many other European countries and in indeed in Washington of, of Nord Stream?
1: I personally believe that Nord Stream is a project that makes sense. It's a private project. It was not a it, idea of political leadership. Um, I think in all fairness, sometimes Germany's position in Washington has been described by the opponents of the project in a way that gives no justice to what Germany is actually doing. And I was joking the other day, talking with some of my American friends, that Germany's policy to support Ukraine is maybe the best kept secret in Washington, D.C. And also our Ukrainian friends usually don't talk about the programs that we set up, the support that we are generating for many, many years now. And it's regrettable that it became a partisan issue. I understand and completely understand that Different views on North Stream, and we always accepted that. But the way that this was framed as betrayal of democratic interests or Ukraine's interest is not giving justice to what Germany has been doing in many, many concrete terms. And so I hope that the Chancellor and President Biden will find a way to put that issue a little bit aside. But it was not our decision to put the issue center stage. That was other other leaders' policies and not our policy.
0: But in a way, it was a symptom of a of a fundamental change in how the transatlantic relationship has worked in recent times. The fact that Congress has introduced sanctions against Germany, I think, is was seen by many as, as a symptom of a big change in the relationship.
1: That is not the first time in history that there was a clash about economic relationship with then, not Russia, but the Soviet Union. But in a way, you know... Um, whatever you think about Nord Stream 2, that our most important friend and ally is imposing illegal sanctions on German companies is simply unacceptable. And I found it very interesting that when we initiated a diplomatic démarche in Washington, that there were also governments joining us who were opposed to Nord Stream 2, but made the case that you cannot use extraterritorial sanctions against your most important ally. And just imagine, Mark, uh, the German Bundestag would pass a law, let's call it the German Bundestag's law to protect American energy security, banning CEOs of companies and state officials issuing legal permits you know, for fracking gas or nuclear energy because we have a different view on those energy sources. <laughs> Even articulating that thought makes you think on how absurd that is. So whatever you think about Nord Stream, that is unacceptable. And it's undermining American influence and American power on a long-term perspective. I'm absolutely convinced about that because we need to find ways to protect our own businesses and ourselves against these kind of threat from from extraterritorial sanctions.
0: I would like to go a bit more deeper into... This whole question of American power and where you see American power as part of your sort of foreign policy outlook, because obviously the German return to the international stage after the Second World War has been something that was facilitated and has been bound up with a a very strong transatlantic relationship you talked earlier about. Germany's investment in NATO and how that was a kind of central part of the the other pillar of Ostpolitik as well, um, you know, throughout all of these different administrations. But at the same time with Trump, there was a major crisis in transatlantic relations, but particularly for Germany, which found itself on the front line, not just on Nord Stream, but in a whole series of other areas. Obviously, Germans were very relieved when Joe Biden won the last election. And I think there've been a lot of very positive developments in the transatlantic relationship since the elections. But it's quite likely that the Democrats will lose Congress when the midterms happen. Who knows who the next president of the US is going? What are your kind of long term assumptions about how the transatlantic relationship will develop and also the role of of the US, which will always obviously be a very close partner to Germany and we'll have more in common on the values front with, with the US than with China or Russia, obviously, any time going forward. But at the same time, something does seem to have changed in terms of how that relationship works.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think that Germans sometimes have a little, maybe even an eccentric relationship, a very emotional relationship with the United States. You know, I remember 200,000 people marching against George W. Bush's war against Iraq. And then you had the same amount of people, maybe even more cheering for a junior senator who was running for president, as you may remember. So also our American friends should know that this is a very stable and reliable partnership. Whatever you sometimes reading in the news, it's going up and down, but on the long run, I think uh, we are very reliable partners. And it's in our interest but the united states has changed and what we are seeing the domestic divide that hyperpolarization i mean what is happening now what the republican party is doing in terms of voting rights uh, still defending conspiracy theories of former president trump so it it looks for me as if that is going to take time and we should make use of the fact that we have a completely different administration right now a team that worked with allies, that understands the value of allies. But we cannot rely on a political decision by the American voters that could change in a 4 years term. You know, in previous years, of course, we had our conflicts sometimes and even tough conflicts when I'm thinking about Iraq. But we never had to ask ourselves, is that election in the United States fundamentally changing foreign policy, strategic foreign policy orientations? And that seems to have changed. So uh, Europe needs to get its act together. And Germany needs to understand that the European Union can only be successful if uh, we are contributing to that in an even stronger way than in the past. And that's not a contradiction you know, to the transatlantic reliance. I think we need to do both.
0: Maybe we could get a bit more concrete on that. Germans have always been in favour of a strong Europe and more Europe. But when it comes down to the details of that, some areas have been more comfortable than others. And in your own party, the the kind of biggest debates have been about defence and defence spending. Are Europeans really ready to take more care of their own defence and security? I mean, I I don't think that the US is going to disappear from NATO immediately, but we did see that we came much closer to it than was comfortable when Donald Trump was in the White House. And, and you know, he decided also to withdraw troops from Germany. To what extent should Europeans be willing to spend more on defence, to do more on defence? And how, how do you see your party coping with, with those kinds of realities if they become necessary?
1: Mark, look, I, I think um, the answer is very clear. We need to do more, and we are doing more. And I know for whatever reason there is always, you know, that suspicion directed against the Social Democratic Party. And maybe that's also because our, our competitors are trying to frame us in a way that makes you ask this question, which is completely fair question. But if you just look at the facts, the biggest increase in funding for the German armed forces was implemented when Olaf Scholz became Minister of Finance. And he is a social democrat and happened to be the, the candidate for chancellor and maybe the next chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany. There's a long tradition from Helmut Schmidt, Willy Brandt, social democratic defense ministers. We understand that we need a credible uh, defense, that we need to invest more in our capabilities. Unfortunately, it's not almost only the question of funding. There's also the question of, is this going to be spent in a good way and an efficient way? But it's something that we need to solve. But I also believe that reducing the question, you did not do that in your question, so don't get me wrong. But In the public debate, Germany's answer to what is happening in the United States is often reduced to the question of defense spending. And that's not the entire picture. What I am concerned about is that if we are reducing a complex question only to security, then we are not giving the right answer. And Germany has so many ways to contribute to to Europe's cohesion and security.
0: I agree. From sanctions Uh, policy to to the sort of discussions we were having about China earlier, I think in many ways those are much more important than than 2% on defence. But there is an ongoing debate within Germany, as you were kind of hinting at, which does come up even in elections, even if it's not the central issue. And that's partly about defence spending, but it's also about intervention and, and the ease with which Germans feel taking on responsibility for for international engagements. I mean, last week on this podcast, we talked about the French attempt to internationalize its engagement in Sahel. Does your party support sending more German soldiers to the Sahel?
1: I think it's interesting that you're mentioning Sahel because it's the biggest military operation that the German armed forces are having. And it's pretty dangerous. I have been there. It's a very robust engagement. And, you know, my French friends, are framing something in a certain way, but I don't have the impression that they are really withdrawing from from their military engagement. And if you're listening to the voices from five G countries, they are calling for more, you know, for a more comprehensive civilian approach. That's precisely what we have been working and arguing for. So I think it's the right decision that we are continuing our engagement, a very robust military engagement. But I would doubt that the counterinsurgency the approach of some of our allies was that much, was in a way successful that we should all join the same strategy. So
0: that, that needs to be very serious discussion about what is the right approach. And what about other complicated discussions, like, for example, armed drones? That's been something which um, there's been a lot of political and societal discussion on. I know that in your party programme, you're asking for a new discussion about that. When do you expect a decision on that topic?
1: Now, I'm campaigning on, on of course, on the basis of the platform that I agreed to. Uh, my personal opinion is that this is a decision that needs to be taken, also in the interest of the security of our soldiers. And I respect my my party's platform, but I, I think uh, also the situation in Mali and other countries show us uh, that the German armed forces need that instrument as, as other other armies already um, took the same decision.
0: Okay, maybe we can end by looking at there's so many parts of the world we haven't talked about, including ones which you've been very engaged in, like in the Middle East. But the whole question of Germany and Europe is obviously central to many people's minds. It's, Germany's been such a, a crucial part of building the European Union and the SPD has been a very active proponent of the shift in German foreign policy, particularly around the European recovery package. In fact, Olaf Scholz, who we were talking about earlier, your candidate for chancellor, talked about a Hamiltonian moment earlier on. To to what extent do you think Germany is going to be able to build on that shift and and to start to become more at ease with the idea of taking on collective debt in the European Union and taking more responsibility for for building Europe in this much more geopolitically uncertain phase that the world has entered into?
1: Yeah, well... I need to formulate that very carefully because, you know, we have a constitution and there are some some elements that are dealing also with the question of public debt and so on. And, and every German government needs to honor that. But I really believe that this is maybe a partisan and an issue where we have a distinction between the Christian democratic and the social democratic policies that is very significant for the anti-European Union. And if you compare the reaction of uh, finance minister Scholz with that of his predecessor, Mr. Schäuble, during the the economic crisis that Europe uh, hit, you you can see that this is really in the spirit of European recovery and complete different narrative, uh, a narrative that uh, is not using that narrative of conditionality and the German philosophy of, you know, fiscal stability, etc. Also, Olaf Scholz is defending the German uh, deficit rules because this is the law of the land. But he found a way to combine, you know, the German fiscal tradition, which enjoys a lot of support, with a real European spirit. And that's what you can expect from a social democratic party if it's uh, going to be in government or maybe even leading the government, because we know. And the same goes to, you know, the question, how are we going to fight the coronavirus pandemic? That there is no national solution for that. And we talked about China, we talked about Russia, other challenges. Uh, Europe's fundamental fiscal and economic position is going to be decisive for the question whether or not we will be able to defend our values and interests in the future. So I'm very happy that Olaf Scholz had the courage and the leadership to bring that decision about and it was not without dispute in the Große Koalition and the governing coalition.
0: But it is an issue which is divisive for for Germany. We found when we did polling around the time of the recovery plan, we found quite a lot of support for that within Germany. But since then, we've been quite shocked at the the collapse in support for European Union and, and faith in the European Union which seems to be quite closely correlated to the problems which the EU vaccines program has had.
1: Absolutely it is precisely my impression as well. Really did a great deal of damage. But I'm confident and there's no other alternative that the future German government will need to take on that issue and also make it clear to the German population and argue in favor of what we are doing because simply for a democracy in these challenging international fiscal and political times, there's no alternative for, to that. Okay.
0: Well, we've covered quite a lot of the waterfront, not everything I was hoping we, we'd get to, but uh, but I think we've, we've gone all the way around the world. Um, I know you're uh, about to go off on holiday before you enter the final phase of the election campaign. So before you do that, there's one thing left to do on this podcast, and that's our bookshelf segment. What books are you going to be taking with you when you go on holiday to the Baltic Sea?
1: I'm going to, as always, bring quite a few books. For me, holiday is about reading, and I always bring more books than I'm able to read. Maybe one of the more unusual recommendations, I- I'm reading in German, The Araber von Morgen, which is a great graphic novel about youth in Syria and France. And it's more than a story. It gives you really an understanding for some of the cultural aspects that are very relevant also to the German discussion Uh, and it's really a piece of art so i can recommend it i think it's five volumes now i have one left and i'm confident
0: that i will going to be finishing it during my vacation that's wonderful so we'll put up a link to all the publications that that we mentioned on our website which is ecfr.eu slash podcasts if you've enjoyed listening to us please do subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to download it on and if you have a spirit of summer in your heart, maybe you can also give us a positive review and a five star rating. But for now, from Niels Annen and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of this podcast is Lucy Halpenthal, and our editor is Marlene Riedl.